This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to It's All Political on Fifth and Mission. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today we're talking about the place where I was born and raised, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and what it could teach San Francisco. What? What could an international tourist destination and high-tech hub like San Francisco learn from an historically blue-collar town like the Berg? Stick with me on this. We're talking about what lessons that Pittsburgh can teach San Francisco at this dire moment in the California city's history. You see, Pittsburgh teetered on the precipice of its own doom spiral moment in the late 1970s and early 1980s when I was growing up there. It was triggered by when the steel industry, which had been synonymous with the city's image and economic growth over the previous century, largely left the country in search of cheaper labor. The city collapsed. Massive unemployment. City blocks abandoned. Small businesses closed. The population was cut in half as residents left town in search of work. That included many people in the generation that I grew up with there. But Pittsburgh avoided total doom by reinventing itself. It became a tech hub, largely by leveraging the programs at Carnegie Mellon University. Now there's a big Google presence in town, and it has become a top healthcare research center, too. Residents are moving into its revitalized downtown as the city has done something that San Francisco is pondering how to accomplish, transform office buildings into residential units. Here to talk to us today about Pittsburgh is Chronicle reporter Chase DeFelice Antonio. He spent a couple of weeks in the Berg recently, reporting on what San Francisco could learn from its East Coast counterpart. Chase, welcome back to It's All Political on Fifth and Mission, or as we would introduce a guest in my native Pittsburghese, hey, Chasey, how you doing? Good to be here. <laughs> Was that okay? How was it my Pittsburgh accent? Then? It's solid. It's, it's awesome. solid. It better, better, damn well better be. <laughs> so what did you see in Pittsburgh that would make it a, a natural comparison to San Francisco? Right. So what's interesting is on their faces, these are really different places. But if you look closer, they have interesting parallels and similarities. So both have long histories as industry towns, Pittsburgh more blue collar on the steel side, San Francisco tech and other things if you go further back. But they've both really had to reinvent themselves over time, and they're both in these different places on that timeline. What I was really interested in being there to look at was seeing the comparison, but more so like what lessons can be learned from Pittsburgh's reinvention after the fall of the steel industry. And also what really gets lost when a city truly collapses, as Pittsburgh did, and lost a lot of its population. So I think more than a direct comparison, there's these really interesting parallels that come out of looking at both cities in the same light. Put into context how decimated Pittsburgh was when the steel industry collapsed in the mid-70s. How many, how many jobs were lost? How many people left? Right. So one report from Pittsburgh's Carnegie Mellon University found that during about 20 years between 1970 and 1990, when the steel and manufacturing industry really got hollowed out and collapsed in the city, Pittsburgh and the surrounding area lost something like 158,000 manufacturing jobs and 
almost 300,000 residents, which is about half of its whole population during that time. So nowadays, the U.S. Census thinks that there's about 300,000 people, maybe a little bit more, living in Pittsburgh. And that's about half of its population in 1960 when the steel industry was really still king. I mean, you compare that to California and San Francisco, which have definitely seen population declines starting during the pandemic. That's partly driven by remote work. But it's really nothing close to losing half the city's population. Yeah, that is a, a brutal stat. So let's talk about some of the ways that Pittsburgh climbed out of the hole. And one of them has to do with one of the world-class universities in the city you just mentioned, Carnegie Mellon University. What role did it play? Right. So this is one of the really interesting parallels between these two cities. So much like in the Bay Area where universities like UC Berkeley and Stanford are kind of like incubators for industries, particularly the tech industry, Carnegie Mellon over time has become this global center for tech research, specifically in robotics. So that's led to all these really interesting robotics companies being spun out of and founded in the city. And that over time and over a long period of time has really turbocharged the city's tech cluster and its reputation as a tech center. When I was in Pittsburgh, I also got to see its growing space manufacturing cluster. One company called Astrobotic is manufacturing landers that it plans to send to the moon on SpaceX rockets. But then beyond that, in Pittsburgh, the city has also reinvented itself, not just as a tech and education center, but there's also medical research institutions, hospitals, and it's a very different place industrially from what it once was, but it's really built on those steel manufacturing roots and infused them with kind of this high-tech energy that's really brought the city to a new place. Hey, let's talk about one neighborhood that you visited, Lawrenceville. It was the longtime home to steel mills and other manufacturing. Then, like many manufacturing-related industries in Pittsburgh, it closed. Now what's going on in that area? So Lawrenceville now is actually home to the National Robotics Engineering Center that's affiliated with Carnegie Mellon University. That center is housed in an old manufacturing plant in the neighborhood, kind of similar to the Stanford Research Institute in the Bay Area, which is now called SRI International, created after World War II. They're doing robotics research with private and government grants and really building some cutting-edge robotics tech in a building that actually used to make nuclear submarine parts during the Cold War. So around that manufacturing building, that former manufacturing building, a lot of housing has sprung up uh, to house workers and other folks, some of it in the form of condos, and some of it even pretty pricey by San Francisco standards. And that, in part, has helped to bring back what was once a pretty decrepit area. Reading your story, Lawrenceville wasn't a, a neighborhood to hang out in where I grew up. It was a neighborhood where Iron City Beer, for those who are unfamiliar with my hometown beer, was made. And back in the 90s, my folks took me to a brew pub there that opened up in a former church. And then a few years later, my godson took me out in the town one night. And he's like, Joe, let's go out to Lawrenceville. I was like, why, why the hell would we go there? Describe what it's like there. This is like a hipster place now. It is, it is very hip. And it also definitely used to be a really tough neighborhood. And I mean, tough is an understatement. It used to be abandoned buildings, burned out cars, it was a dangerous, violent place that you really did not want to go. But now you can get vegan tacos and dim sum, and there's a thriving LGBTQ plus community there as well. So the neighborhood really went through, over the course of several decades, what developers would call revitalization. And a big part of that was some really committed local citizens and business owners and nonprofit organizations getting grants and 
building businesses and really trying to pull this neighborhood back from a kind of ruin. But on the flip side, the area is nothing like what it once was. And that's not necessarily a good or a bad thing. It just really underscores that even when a neighborhood successfully rebuilds itself and builds back from the brink of ruin, it can lose a big part of what made it unique and special and different. And I think that's just a really meaningful lesson for a place like San Francisco that is not there yet, but is facing some really difficult times and hard choices right now. Not every neighborhood in Pittsburgh experienced the same renaissance, and that uneven growth has created disparities. We hear more about that after this short break. You're listening to Fifth Admission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Chase, so when the steel industry left Pittsburgh, it not only took a lot of blue-collar jobs with it, it eliminated a lot of white-collar workers, too. And downtown Pittsburgh, you know, when I would visit going back three decades, had a lot of empty office buildings, just like San Francisco does now. What did Pittsburgh do about it? So this, I think, is one of the most important lessons that I took away from spending time in Pittsburgh. So during the past decade or more, the city has converted dozens of old hotels and office buildings into relatively affordable rental apartments and condos. Some entire buildings have been refurbished, some it's only partial, but ultimately that's paid dividends for downtown. The city lost the steel industry. A lot of those uh, white-collar workers, as you say, disappeared, but that meant that there were fewer people there, and the city realized that in order for a downtown to thrive, you need people walking around. So nowadays, the downtown does have its issues with homelessness and crime, but there's also small retail and restaurants that have been able to survive. Some of them have had to cut their hours and make different changes during the pandemic, to be sure. But it's not a dead space in the way that parts of San Francisco's downtown are becoming, with people not working in person at offices every day. Now, one big difference here is Pittsburgh's downtown has comparatively a lot of smaller buildings. San Francisco has a lot of uh, larger Class A office buildings uh, that, ca that can make it harder, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's impossible. Yeah, I mean, anytime we've heard about converting office spaces into housing recently, developers and architects tell us that it can't be done, it's prohibitively expensive, you might as well just tear down the building. But tell us about what happened to a Kaufman's department store. For those not familiar with it, it's kind of like a Macy's in downtown Pittsburgh, a place where, you know, I, I remember buying Christmas presents for family uh, back in the day. What has happened to Kaufman's? Right. So one architect that I talked to who is actually central to the revitalization of Lawrenceville, his name's uh, Chip Desmond. He worked on a study of how to put light shafts into the Kaufman's building 
so that people could live in some of the interior parts of it and not feel like they were living in a cave. So that building has uh, since been redeveloped into mixed-use apartments, restaurants, some retail, and the building is really massive. And now there's more than 300 apartment buildings in there. There's parking spaces. And it's, again, one of these buildings where instead of falling into some form of decrepitude, people are actually able to live there and then walk around downtown, and it makes downtown more of a neighborhood. Now, when San Francisco Mayor London Breed talks about transforming the massive and rapidly uh, emptying Westfield Center Mall on Market Street here, right near us at the Chronicle, into a soccer stadium or perhaps a laboratory space, sometimes I've got to say, I'm sort of rolling my eyes, or as we'd say in Pittsburgh, that sounds goofy. But did seeing this change your opinion or broaden your mind about what could be done in a, in a space like that? So to be fair, on top of that Kaufman's building, there is a basketball court now. It's not quite a soccer stadium, but it's oh something. God. So take that for what it's worth. But I think walking around Pittsburgh downtown just pressed home the point that you can't go back to the good old days. So when it comes to throwing out these ideas of what we should do with some of the downtown buildings in San Francisco, some of them do seem a little silly, should be taken with a grain of salt. But I think there is this point that you have to ideate and come up with ideas while you're kind of watching what we have slip away. I mean, I think Nordstrom leaving the Westfield Center in San Francisco is an example of that. It's an opportunity to put something there that the city maybe actually needs and that can maybe make the downtown and the city overall better. I mean, housing certainly comes to mind. But also, I think if you had said in the middle of the collapse of the steel industry in Lawrenceville, hey, let's build gigantic robots here, the Yinzers of Pittsburgh would have given you a bit of a weird look. <laughs> they would. Now, let's not go overboard with this whole Pittsburgh renaissance here. It didn't touch every corner of the city. Tell us about a neighborhood that, that it hasn't been able to change, and why not? Right. So that's kind of the other side of this coin. I mean, we are talking about a city that lost virtually half of its population. And virtually everyone I talk to who has lived there most of or their whole lives was very clear-eyed that people are not coming back in the same way that they were there a generation ago when uh, the steel industry was still huge and booming. One neighborhood I went to is a historically black neighborhood called Perrysville and Marshall Shadlin, the city's north side. A lot of the parts of those neighborhoods are still really in a bad way. There's abandoned buildings, buildings with tax liens on them, and redevelopment efforts are underway. I spoke with one woman, Nancy Nozhko. She grew up in Lawrenceville, was pivotal in redeveloping that neighborhood and making it what it is today. But it's a block-by-block -block effort on the north side. They're buying buildings, trying not to tear them down, getting grants from the government and private sources and trying to fix them up so that they can really spark a neighborhood renaissance. But there's no guarantee that that's going to happen, and that really does take time. And then there's also these other huge challenges. I mean, these are some of these neighborhoods have experienced generational poverty, and they have populations that are pretty mistrustful in some cases of outsiders coming in to try to, you know, quote unquote, fix their neighborhood, because in some cases that can mean that the property values go up and they get pushed out. So in some places on the north side, there are businesses that are doing okay, but a lot of it is a food desert. And ultimately, in order to make these neighborhoods thrive, it's going to take a lot more investment than has been put into them so far. 
Now, a lot of people are going to be listening to this and say, hey, there's a lot of differences between Pittsburgh and San Francisco. The cost of living here is way more expensive than it is in Western Pennsylvania. San Francisco is a booming tourist industry that Pittsburgh doesn't, and so on and so on. But San Francisco tries to figure out how it can mount its own comeback. What should people here keep in mind from Pittsburgh's long recovery? Yeah, I've thought about this a lot because ultimately these are two really different places. And in a lot of ways, a direct comparison doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. The takeaway for me is that once you lose what makes your neighborhood or city unique or interesting and what makes it a place that people really want to visit, it's really hard and maybe impossible to get those things back. And in the meantime, in some cases, People leave, businesses leave, the character of the place changes, maybe for the better, maybe for the worse, but ultimately it's not the same place anymore. And that's ultimately what San Francisco could be facing if civic leaders don't essentially arrest the slide that the city is going through right now. I mean, we stand a chance of losing what we are, and it could take a very, very long time to come back from that. And of course, there's two other big differences between San Francisco and Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's football team plays in Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh's football team has six Super Bowl championships, and San Francisco's only has five. That is one thing that Pittsburgh will never lose. <laughs> Chase, thanks for being back on It's All Political on Fifth and Mission. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And now here's a translation of our closing in Pittsburghese. Hey, I'd like to thank you for listening and hope that you and your family, your mom, your dad, your kids are safe and healthy in that. I'd like to thank Keith Menconi for producing this podcast. Is that what Jids do here? Get out. And I want to thank Gary Baca for editing it. And I love the name Baca because that's such a great Pittsburgh name to say, Baca. He's probably Don Ton right now. And hey, no matter what, you just got to remember, whether you're out here in San Fran or out back in the Berg, it's all political on Fifth and Mission. <laughs>